Today we're going to be in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 15 this morning. Uh, the last message uh, for the theme uh, for this year, so designed uh, for His glory. At least the uh, last message this year on that theme. And uh, let me just encourage you. Um, the theme Sunday is always a, a big, important Sunday because it does give us kind of focus uh, for this next year. And so uh, what we're going to be talking about uh, next Sunday is, uh, is the theme that uh, we and the leadership got together and uh, we, we thought about it and uh, we prayed about it. And this is uh, what we thought our church uh, should be focusing on in 2023. And uh, it's not just something that would be for 2023, but really uh, something that our church always focuses on. So more or less, it is kind of a, a reshapening or reminder uh, for the coming year. But uh, you'll want to be here next Sunday uh, for that. But this will be the last Sunday that we talk about designed for His glory. And so this, we're going to spend some time uh, briefly just to kind of uh, finish up uh, this a year-long theme uh, designed for His glory. Now, as we get started, I just want to start with an illustration. I want to uh, share a story with you, and uh, so think about uh, how this would uh, play out. This is not a real-life story. This is a pretend story. But uh, imagine that there is a man. He's, he's never read the Bible, and uh, he's never gone to church. He, he doesn't have a lot of experience uh, with, with Christians, uh, and imagine this man uh, that he's coming back from a business trip and, and his plane uh, crashes um, over, the, over the ocean and uh, he alone is a survivor. And so he, everyone else dies, he, he survives. Uh, he does wash up there on an island and, uh, with some of the luggage and so he begins to go through some of that luggage and, and uh, find resources uh, that, that he would need to survive. Uh, food and, and clothing and different things. And so as he's going through the luggage, he does find a Bible. He does find a Bible along with a lot of other things. And, and so uh, he does try to, uh, him not being a Christian, he does try to uh, use the Bible uh, to create fire, but the pages just are not the right type of paper. Uh, maybe it's too thin or it has some type of film on it and it just doesn't burn very well. And so uh, he kind of puts it off to the side, and, and he waits week after week after week, and no rescue, and then month after month, and, and no rescue. And, and so he begins to kind of figure out, okay, what am I going to do to kind of keep myself sane? What, what should I do to really kind of like uh, continue forward with this? And, and so he decides to open up the Bible. And so he starts there in, in Genesis, and, and he begins to read through, and he learns about uh, who God is, and, and he, learns, he learns some things about, about the Lord. And, and, then, and then he gets into the New Testament, and he reads about uh, the gospel. He reads about Jesus Christ, and he reads through those gospels. And, and uh, this man, um, his life has changed. And so uh, he realizes uh, from the picture of the Old Testament about the fact that God is holy, and he realizes that he is a sinner. And then he, he gets there to the New Testament. He realizes why Jesus came, not for the healthy, but for the sick. And he recognizes he is sick, and so he asks Jesus to become his, his Lord and Savior. Now, he does this completely on his own, all right? Not in a church, not through an evangelist, not by a pastor, not a deacon, not, a, not an elder. He's just reading the Bible, and he gets saved. And so he continues to read. He's wondering, well, you know, now that I'm a Christian, what else is there to learn? And so he continues to read, and he gets into Acts, and he begins to read about the New Testament church, the early church, and he begins to learn about the Holy Spirit and the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells 
the believer, and he, he begins to learn about the fact that there's a, there's a fight going on inside him, that, that the flesh and, and the spirit. And, and so he begins to learn all of this stuff, and he begins to grow as a Christian. So imagine the same man after being stranded on the island with really not much except time to study God's Word. He eventually does get rescued. And he comes back uh, to, to uh, where he lives, uh, probably the States here. He comes back to the States and he, uh, he decides to go ahead and, and look for a church. He had heard about church before. But he had never actually partaken of church, and, and he had read about church in the Bible, so he decided to go ahead and look for a body of believers to be able to fellowship with, just like he read about in the Bible. So my question here for you to ponder, we put this guy really anywhere in California, and he begins to look at, at churches and would he be surprised at the American church? Think about all the time that he has spent alone on an island, alone with the Lord, and, and the time that he has studied the Word of God and how it's impacted his life. And, and he begins to think to himself, these Christians must be like, but then he begins to kind of mingle with some Christians, and he begins to realize these Christians are not like. And so maybe that expectation of, of what he had, of, of what a Christian ought to be, is, is different from what a Christian actually is. Would the Christians in that church be similar to what he read in the Bible or different? And if they were different, would that be a good difference or different in a negative way? The reason why I start off with that is because of our theme. Our theme this last year has been designed for His glory, and, and our theme uh, verse was Ephesians 2.10, which the entire verse says this. It says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for you beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, let me just remind us of a couple of things here. For we... Who is, uh, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to Christians, and so he's saying, you Christians are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we Christians should walk in them. And so really, Paul uh, reminds the church, and, and right before this actually, verses 8 and 9 remind us that it's not by our own works that we obtain salvation. So works do not equal salvation, but then Paul says once we're saved, we want to honor the Lord. We want to do good works. We want to give honor and glory to God. And so we were confronted with that this last year, that, that we as Christians have been designed to bring God glory. Well, that brings us to our text this morning, because our question might be this. If it is true that we are designed for His glory, then how can a Christian live for God in this world? How can a Christian live for God in this world? And I, and I believe 
what we have here in John chapter 14 is the answer to that question. How can we bring God glory? How can we bring God glory? So I'll have you stand out of respect for God's Word. This is John 14. We're just going to read uh, verses 15 through 17 today. So not a lot of reading. But uh, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, let's go stop there. Last Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the word of God. Thank you for allowing us to gather again today to learn more about you. Lord, we do pray that uh, truly um, you would increase, that you would be glorified, that we'd learn more about you, and that we would decrease, that we would think less about ourselves and more about you. And Lord, as we think about this theme and really a, a, a time of, of a closing of this theme, we're reminded that though we close off this theme for this year, designed for His glory, we're reminded that that doesn't mean that the theme is done. That really, as, as Christians, we ought to continue to bring you honor and glory. And so, Lord, as we open up your words today and we find out the how to bring you honor and glory, we pray that you'd use your word in our hearts, in our lives, to change us, that we might be stronger in our faith, that we might be Christians who do good works for your honor and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In our passage today, Jesus reminds us, and he reminds uh, those in attendance there as he spoke, that if we are to honor and glorify God, that we must obey him. And so the very first uh, verse there that we read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's always been uh, that love and obedience goes hand in hand. When, uh, when children desire to honor their father and mother, they are obedient to their father and mother. And so if we are to honor and glorify God, the same thing must be true. There must be obedience in our heart. And so Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Actually, the same thing is true of faith. Faith and obedience goes hand in hand as well. If we truly believe what God said, it changes our life. We become obedient to that truth. And so love and obedience goes hand in hand, as, as, as Jesus says here. And faith and obedience goes hand in hand. And we would say, well, yeah, I understand that. I believe the words that Jesus Christ says here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That love is, 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 goes hand in hand with obedience. But the problem is I struggle with obedience. I struggle with doing the things that I know to be right. 
And I struggle with not doing the things I know I should not do. And I would say that's the same thing for me as well. That's the same thing for, for all of us. And that's why I wanted to finish off our, our um, a year with the how. So, so how do we continue forward when each one of us struggles with this idea of obedience to God? And I believe Jesus answers that question for us. Notice in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I just want to point this out, this another, all right, another. Now, in, in, in our English, there's, a, there's several ways that we could use the word another. We could say like, um, I don't know, I, I would like another car. That would be addition to. Uh, we could say another like something similar to, and we could say another like something that is the same. And so let me illustrate those two ideas because we understand the other addition to, but maybe that, that another of the same and another equal to. All right, so let me, let me give you this illustration. Let's say that you have a bite of ice cream. All right, I enjoy ice cream. And you say, yum, I would like another. Now that is not another salad. That is another bite of that ice cream. It is something of the same. I want another bite that was good. But there's another way that we use another in our English language. It is in a way of similar. For instance, you might say, I did not like that ice cream parlor. Next time, we should try another ice cream parlor. That is another ice cream parlor that is not that ice cream parlor. That is another of something similar, but not another that is the same. And so what is the Greek, what is, what is Christ saying here when he says another helper? Is it another addition to? Is it another of the same? Or is it another similar? And here when, when Jesus Christ is saying this, he says, and he will give you another that is actually another of the same. That's not another of a different, and that is not another of an addition. Although, I guess when we become Christians, it, it, there is an addition that happens to us. But when Christ is speaking here, he means another, something that is the same. And so that Greek word is something that is just like the first. And of course, who is that helper? Or maybe your translation says another comforter. Well, we find out who that helper is in the very next verse. Notice that next verse. Even the spirit of truth. So, so that, that helper, that comforter, is first of all the spirit of truth. And notice how else Jesus describes him. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And then notice, you know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you can already begin to kind of like put the, the dots together about who Christ is speaking of. That spirit of truth, that one who dwells with you, that one who will be in you, 
And who is Jesus Christ talking about? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit living in those disciples. The Spirit is with the disciples, but one day the Spirit will live in those disciples. And that is why Jesus uses the word another helper as in one just like the first. Because he's, what, really what he's doing is he's saying, I know, I am with you, and you are dependent on me, and I am from God, I am God, I am God in human form, but another one that is the same will come, and that is God as well, that is the Holy Spirit, and he is with you, and he will be in you. And so today we want to consider three ways the Holy Spirit empowers us to give God honor and glory. Because this is really the key. If if we're going to be designed for His glory, if we're going to do good works for His glory, if we're going to really continue on with this, we know that we cannot do it in our flesh. We must do it through His Spirit. And if I could just very quickly illustrate uh, what, what I mean by that. So, um, as you know, the, the Consumers River the, uh, and a couple of places, the, the le- levees uh, failed uh, pretty bad, and so they had to rebuild them. And so, I'm not sure if you saw it. I, I, was, uh, I saw it uh, there online, and it was the news, and they had some type of drone, and they were watching that big bulldozer or whatever that big thing is that has the long arm moving these giant boulders around, reinforcing the levees. Now, you know what? They did not have men on the ground moving around those rocks because they did not have the power to move around and sure up that levee. They did not move rock, uh, one rock at a time by hand. It wouldn't have worked. They needed some type of big power to be able to accomplish what they needed to accomplish. Well, when it comes to living for the Lord, that is like us trying to sure up a levee by ourselves, and maybe we're getting as big of a rock that we can handle. And maybe we're spending all day doing it. But you know, it's not going to sure up the levee. That water is going to continue to pour through. We've got to rely on something else. And that's when we talk about that Holy Spirit. He is the power in which we have to bring God glory. A little bit later on, Jesus Christ says this. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you, and this is on the same topic of the Holy Spirit, He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. Again, that Helper is that Holy Spirit or is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I just want to point out, these are the words of Jesus Christ. Everything he spoke is is truth, and what he says is this about the Holy Spirit. It is to your advantage that I go, that the the helper might come. So what we need to realize is the words of Jesus Christ says that the Holy Spirit in your life is very important. That as he stood on earth, he said, it is better for me to leave. And, and sometimes in our mind, we, we might begin to think to ourselves, well, you know what, if, if, 
if Jesus was still here and I could like take him with me, take him with me to, to the house and, and to my work and, and to my church and when I go grocery shopping and when I turn on the TV, my life would be different if I took Christ with me everywhere. And of course, Christ is not here. We don't take him around with us everywhere, but we do take God's Spirit with us around everywhere. And so, though we don't have Jesus at our side, we have God within us as believers. And so the very first thing that we want to consider this morning as we think about the Holy Spirit empowering the believer is this. The very first thing that he gives is spiritual life. Spiritual life. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I'm going to put the um, verses up on the screen as well, but uh, John chapter 3, uh, so that you can look down and follow along with me. John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, some of the questions that, that Nicodemus has. And so Nicodemus is a, is a Pharisee, and, and uh, he's been watching Jesus, and, and he's noticed everything that Jesus has been doing. And, and so he, he begins to consider this, that I, I do think maybe that Jesus Christ is from God. And, and so he asked Jesus Christ uh, really a question here, and he says, you know what, since it appears to me that you are from God, I'm just wondering how I uh, can get to God. And so we see this in verse 2. This is Nicodemus, this is his question, Rabbi, that, that means teacher. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless, he is, unless God is with him. So, somewhere along the lines, Nicodemus is, began to realize this man is, is legitimate, that, that I, I do think that, that he is from God. And, and so, the question here is really not just that I realize that you've come from God, but really the question is also, how can I get to God? And so Jesus, knowing his question, answers it this way. This is in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He answers Nicodemus's question. Of course, Nicodemus kind of scratches his head. And so we see this in verse 4. We see Nicodemus' reply. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, Jesus Christ is not talking about another physical birth. But instead, what is he talking about? He's actually talking about a spiritual birth. How do we know that? Well, the very next verse uh, reveals to us what Jesus Christ means. He says this, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so what is, what is Jesus Christ talking about here? Well, Nicodemus' question is, I see that you're from God, and I'm just wondering how I get to God. And he says, all right, what you need is spiritual life, not just physical life. You need spiritual life. And so that's the answer that, that is given to to Nicodemus, that you need spiritual life. And notice, truly, I truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that spiritual life that we have comes from that Holy Spirit. 
He breathes into our life new spiritual life. And so that spirit is what brings life. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So that natural person is like that, the normal person that doesn't have the Spirit, that doesn't have spiritual life. That is just the regular person. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So he can't understand because he does not have the Spirit. The Spirit is so vastly important to our spiritual life, to living for the Lord. So the Bible teaches at the moment of conversion that when we put our faith and trust in the gospel that the Holy Spirit gives us new spiritual life. He opens up our eyes and we begin to see truth from air. This is all made possible because at the moment of conversion, God indwells the believer. And that second way that the Holy Spirit empowers us is that he indwells the believer. Paul says this, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Now Paul is, is writing this, and, and just prior to this, he's really talking about purity, and the, and, uh, the, the church is, is not doing the right thing. They're acting in, a, in an unpure way. And, and so Paul confronts them. He says, don't you realize that as you're participating in these, these evil things, that you're bringing God with you, that it's not like you're just doing it in secret, in the dark, and it's not like God, God doesn't know, because God is inside you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the ark. His presence was in the part of the most high place in the temple. That place in the temple was not a place where just anyone was allowed to go. A heavy curtain was a separation for the most holy place and the rest of the temple. But you know, when Jesus died, that temple was torn. So we're reminded here in Matthew 27, 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Now what happened when Jesus Christ died in our place? Well, he gave us access to God. Now remember, back in the Old Testament, there was this, this veil, this, this curtain that, that really separated the temple and, and really the rest of mankind from God. There was a place in which God resided. But when Jesus Christ died, that curtain was torn in two. That now that most holy place was open, there was access for mankind. But for the Christian, it's even more than access to God it's the fact that we become that holy place. That God no longer resides in the temple in the most holy place. Instead, God resides in the church, in believers, within us as Christians. So he indwells the believer. He left the temple and he dwells in the believer's. 
A.W. Tozer says this, it is um, indivisible from the Father and the Son so that if you were to be suddenly transformed, uh, transferred to heaven itself, you wouldn't be any closer to God than you are now, for God is already here. It's kind of an amazing thought. Many of us, we're looking forward to uh, one day being in glory, being in heaven, and, and being able to, to, to look up and, and to see the presence of God, to be able to see Christ, to be able to worship Him. But, but what Tozer reminds us of is that we don't have to wait to worship Him until we get to heaven, that really... God is with us right now because he lives inside of us. He indwells the believer. The saying, would you, if, uh, if your head wasn't attached, uh, you would lose it, or you would lose your head if it wasn't attached, is often not encouraging but in this, in, this, in this view, it is actually encouraging because we are reminded that uh, there's no way for us to forget the Holy Spirit. So we may forget our keys. We may forget our cell phone. We may forget what's, what's on, our, our, on our list for the grocery store. We may forget to pick up something. But you know what? We don't have to remember to take the Holy Spirit with us. We don't have to remember to take God's power with us in the work or with us into when we struggle, or with us at home, that we are reminded that God's power is always with us. What we need to remember is simply that it is with us when we go to work and when we go home. And when we deal with relationships, that that power goes with us and to rely on that power. So when we want to honor and glorify God, remember the Holy Spirit is there to help and to guide you because He lives within you. So we are not on our own, all right? When Jesus Christ began to talk about um, the Holy Spirit in, in John here, He begins to remind them that it's not as if they're like orphaned kids. They weren't saved and then they're just kind of left out on their own to survive. Instead, really, He communicates this idea that we have a Heavenly Father and we have a Holy Spirit that's going to indwell the believer, that, that we have power within us. And so some amazing things that the Holy Spirit does. First of all, he gives us new spiritual life. Number two, he indwells the believer. We take him everywhere. And number three, the third thing the Holy Spirit does is he seals the believer. Seals the believer. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it is a promise that you will forever be God. You are sealed for God. It's a promise of eternal life. It's a promise of a relationship with God. Buyers of timber in the forests of Asian Minor, would, what they would do is they would cut down the tree and, and then they would, they would put their seal on, on, that, on that tree and then they would float it down the river. And once it, once it made it to its destination, they began to sort out uh, those trees that had been floating down the river. They would look for that, that image, that seal that was on that tree, and that 
showed ownership of who cut down that tree and floated it down the river. And so this is the same thing that, that Paul is using when he uses that same description here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says this, in, uh, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed, that is a mark was placed upon your life. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. And so as we think about the Holy Spirit, He seals the believer. He shows us that we are truly God's. Now, when we think about guarantee and, and uh, this, this uh, word right here, who is the guarantee, uh, this is not an earthly uh, guarantee. Sometimes uh, we get something new and nice, maybe like a new set of p- pots and pans. And if you get like a, a nice, expensive set of pots and pans, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes they come with like a limited lifetime guarantee. That's kind of their, their selling point. And so you open up that little pamphlet that comes with your pots and pans, and you begin to realize that when they mean limited, they actually do mean limited, that it's not a lifetime warranty, but that if, if you do this or that or this, you void your warranty and, and you, you can't get a replacement. Maybe it could be like you put your, your pots and pans in the dishwasher and now they're not going to replace them. But when we talk about a guarantee here and what Paul is talking about, he is not talking about a limited lifetime guarantee. Instead, he is talking about a full lifetime guarantee. This is a guarantee that one day you will receive an inheritance that has already been a down payment applied to your life through the Holy Spirit. So Paul here is not talking about a limited guarantee. He is talking about a full guarantee. John MacArthur, as he speaks about these verses, he says this, God's own spirit comes to indwell the believer and secures, the pre- uh, secures and preserves his eternal salvation. The seal of which Paul speaks refers to an official mark of identification placed on a letter, contract, or other document. That document was thereby officially under the authority of the person whose stamp was on that seal. So the Holy Spirit seals us. The Holy Spirit seals us, and, and that really gives us four truths. And there's four truths when you begin to kind of study the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. There's four truths that come out of that. Number one, and uh, if you're taking notes, write down really quickly because we're going to fly through these. Number one, ownership. All right? When you begin to look at how seal was used in the Word of God, one way it was used is for ownership, and that's actually the illustration that I already gave about floating logs down the river. They put their stamp on it. It showed it was theirs. It's the same thing that we do today with bra- um, branding of, of livestock. It, it shows that is their livestock, all right? And so the fact that the Holy Spirit is in our life, we've been sealed, it shows that God owns us, 
that he has purchased us. Number two, it shows our identity. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit in our life really separates us from the rest of mankind. All right, the rest of mankind, they're walking around, they're doing what comes natural to them. But we as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in our life. We are identifying with God and we are changing. God is really changing us from the inside out. It is our identity. That still means that we are God's. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are children of God. It also means, there's another thing that it means, security. Both when we think about um, um, uh, the tomb of Jesus Christ, we think about uh, David being thrown into the lion's den. At both of those times, there was a seal put on. And that, that showed that there was some protection from the king, that, that no one was allowed to, to, to break that seal. It showed proof that this was an order from the king. And so they were sealed by royal decree. In today's world, we, we might think of like, uh, if, you've, if you've gone shopping recently, and, and uh, sometimes uh, on shirts or pants or even on shoes, there's a little tag, right? And so that is, that's a security tag. It, it helps to prevent theft. Well, you know, that, that seal is, is, is like a security tag for us. That the evil one, Satan, would love to take us and make us his. But we are protected. We are sealed. We are secure in Christ. We are secure in God. So ownership, identity, security, and lastly, inheritance. It is that down payment of something that will come. And so that's what Paul talks about in that verse that we looked at in Ephesians. That we have been sealed. We have a promise. One day we will live with God forever and ever and ever because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why Paul can say this. Paul says this in, in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, how can Paul be so sure? He says, I am sure of this. How can Paul be so sure of this? Well, it's because of that Holy Spirit. There's a seal upon us. It's a down payment that we have not received heaven. We have not received a new body. We have not received glory. But that Holy Spirit, as, as good as already being in heaven, it is a for sure promise. It is a full lifetime guarantee. Right? Not limited lifetime guarantee. We're reminded that limited lifetime guarantee, if you do something wrong, you void the warranty. I am so glad that's not how our Christian life is. That if we do something wrong, it voids the guarantee, it voids the warranty. Because truly in this life, we will get lots of bumps and bruises because of sin. But God will keep that guarantee. And that's again why Paul can say this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could be so sure of this.
But no matter how many times we might trip and fall in this life, remember you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So get back up and move forward and bring God honor and glory. So how does the Holy Spirit help us to bring God glory? Number one, he regenerates the believer. He gives new spiritual life where there was no spiritual life, and that comes through faith and trust in the gospel. Remember, the Holy Spirit is as important to the believer's existence as air is to staying alive or or to really anything living. Without the Spirit, we have no spiritual life. It is the air for the believer. Number two, He indwells the believer. We became the temple of God, and we take God everywhere with us. God is changing us from the inside out. And number three, He seals the believer. Remember, the Holy Spirit has guaranteed things to come. The fact that we are sealed, the fact that Jesus Christ has come into us, means that every time we get knocked down in life, we can get back up, that we have not voided our guarantee, but that we can continue to live for the Lord even after we make mistakes. So we can bring God honor and glory, but we cannot do that on our own. We cannot do that on our own. And if you're a Christian then we have the Holy Spirit within us. We can bring God glory. But if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're here today and, and uh, maybe you've never put your faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, the fact that he lived in your place and, and died in your place, that's really the first step. There, there is really no way that we can uh, have good works uh, through Jesus Christ until uh, we are Christians. And so remember what, what Jesus Christ said. He said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And so there's really no way that we can bring honor and glory to God. There's no way that we can really have fellowship with God outside of Christ. We must have new spiritual life that that Holy Spirit gives us. And and just a reminder, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There must be spiritual life. Spiritual life comes from the Spirit, and it starts when we put our faith and trust in the gospel. If you're a Christian here today, I challenge you this week to ask God to empower you to live for him. And so all we have to do, really, if if we're designed for his glory and we want to do good works for him, we need to realize this. The Holy Spirit is in us. We take him everywhere. When when I'm tempted, I have the ability through the Holy Spirit to say no to the temptation and say yes to the Lord. And so trust that. Ask the Lord to empower you with his spirit and to have victory in this coming year. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for the many things that the Holy Spirit does and and really many things that we didn't even talk about today. Even, Even the fact that I can stand here and pray. I know that I have access to you through, through Christ, but I also know that the Holy Spirit is, is working uh, through me even as I pray, as I read God's Word, as I grow as a Christian. And really, we just, we just handled a handful of things 
that the Holy Spirit does. But, but three important things in relation to living for you. Lord, we thank you for giving us new spiritual life. We thank you for living inside of us, indwelling us, regenerating us, indwelling us. Lord, we also thank you for sealing us, giving us that promise. That even though this, in this life we may uh, get bumps and bruises, that you continue to work on us, you continue to work with us to complete the good works that you have in store for us. And so, Lord, as we venture off into this next year, this next week, this next month, the rest of today, Lord, may we realize that truly you go with us. You're there to help us, that really we have everything we need within us to live a spiritual life and help us to trust you, help us to, by faith, obey you. And may you continue to change our lives for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.